The uh, scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 18 and 24 to 30. You can find it on, uh, starting on page 979 of the Pew Bible. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And then continuing on uh, at verse 24, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Voice is an Emmy Award-winning TV series entering its 16th season, with licensed versions of it going all over the world. And if you aren't familiar with this series and haven't caught an episode, it involves a a, a panel of accomplished professional singers who try and recruit new singers to their team in hopes of being the winning coach with the last singer standing at the end of the season. The winning uh, singer will be granted a recording contract. And each season begins with something they call the blind audition, where the judges face the audience and a singer walks onto the stage to sing their song, but the judges don't know who that person is except a name. They don't have a profile of them. They don't know what style they're singing. All they have to rely on is the quality of the voice. And as they listen, 
They're trying to recognize the voice of the singer that will give them the best chances to win at the end. Does the voice that they hear give them a chance to lead them to victory? That's a tough task for the judges. They not only need to recognize the quality of the voice and the potential of that singer to be successful, but they have to guess whether the audience will, be the, will vote for them at the end of the competition. Like the judges on the show, we, life can feel like navigating the competing voices that we hear. Unlike the judges on the show, though we're not that great at recognizing voices. Well, at least most of us aren't. We don't often have the skill and experience to recognize the best voices. Unlike the judges, we don't get the luxury of intently listening to one voice at a time. Often when trying to pick out all these different voices amongst the cacophony of noise in the world around us that will lead us to a future marked with safety, security, and blessing. For the next 20 minutes or so, you'll have to put up with listening to this particular voice. But what voices have you been hearing and picking out as you've been arriving here today? Do those voices lead you to a place of comfort and assurance and of blessing? Or do they do otherwise? We're in the middle of this Future Life sermon series where we're walking through the Gospel of John to hear the invitation of the living God to a life that we've been created for in the future, but also now in a relationship, through a relationship with Jesus. In the passage that we just heard Kevin read from John chapter 10, we heard about the voice of the good shepherd that leads the sheep to safety, to security, and blessing. And as we unpack this text today, I hope that we can become better hearers of this voice that leads us to abundant life. We want to be hearing the voice we want to enjoy the voice, and we want to join the Good Shepherd. Hear the voice, enjoy the voice, and join the Good Shepherd. If you've been following the proceedings of Michael Cohen's testimony this week, it's interesting to note how people on both sides of the aisle have been responding to his statements. Michael Cohen was one of President Trump's key fixers, a personal lawyer who took care of issues on behalf of Mr. Trump and made potential problems go away. And as he went into detail about what, uh, about what he did and it was asked to do, Republican committee members, I think that's on the right side here, right? Um, just heard his statements as dubious and untrustworthy because he'd already been convicted of felony for perjury. But Democratic committee members took his words at face value and heard his testimony as further ammunition for the impeachment of the President of the United States. Each side took the words of Cohen and heard what they wanted to hear to justify their positions and goals. What was said seemed secondary to what they wanted. Don't we find ourselves doing similar things with what we hear? With all the possible voices that are vying for our attention, we selectively listen to the ones around us that we think will lead us to a more secure position in life. The Apostle John contrasts the voice of the good shepherd with the voices of other shepherds who come to lead the sheep. For those listening to Jesus, they're trying to measure him up against his contemporaries. Jesus' contemporaries were revolutionary leaders, promising to overthrow the elite in power and confront imperial powers. Was Jesus just another one of these political leaders promising a lot with little to show for it? Those seeking power often did so 
at the expense of the common folk. Though they promised to be on their side, many false shepherds called followers to their support while keeping their own power and wealth, serving themselves and their own interests under the guise of caring for the people. But here, Jesus, they're watching Jesus amongst the people. They're watching him teach and people are listening. They're watching him have compassion on the vulnerable and marginalized. And as they've just witnessed in the previous chapter that we heard last week, as Kurt shared, they just watched a blind man get healed. Jesus describes a good shepherd that doesn't seek his own promotion and security, but seeks the safety and well-being of the sheep first. A good shepherd, a good leader, knows his sheep by name and calls them, as we heard in verse 3. There's a sense of intimacy and familiarity with the sheep. A good shepherd goes on ahead of his sheep, leading them to green pastures and to safety. In contrast to the false shepherds whom Jesus refers to as thieves and robbers that steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus refers to himself as the one who comes for the sheep to have life and life to the full. This idea of life and life to the full and of abundance not only phys- is not only a physical and material one, but is a relational and social and spiritual one. When Jesus talks about this abundant life, the Jewish ear had in mind this idea of shalom, the Hebrew word for flourishing peace and blessing for all of humanity and creation. The prophet Ezekiel described several hundred years earlier a land in chapter 35, verse 25 to 31. And he gives a picture of this entire creation that is at peace. He describes how wild beasts are banished and created order will flourish. The enslaved will be set free and injustice between people groups will be no more. That's the vision of shalom that they heard. And as Ezekiel concludes this description of a life of shalom with the living God, he says this in the final verses of 34, 30, and 31. And they shall know I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. So when the Jews hear Jesus talk, they have scriptures like these in the back of their mind. Here Jesus promises the good shepherd that he isn't just talking the talk. He's walking the walk before them and inviting them to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. As you hear the voices in your lives, don't just hear the voices that you agree with most naturally. Jesus is inviting his hearers, including you and I today, to consider the voice that actually walks out the life that leads us to the most flourishing life for ourselves, but also for the world around us. Of the voices we listen to, which ones actually lead us to experience that abundant life that they promise? Because a lot of people can talk the talk and get a lot of people to listen to them even. But how many of them walk the walk themselves? As we read further into this passage, we discover that Jesus is making his case not just as a good shepherd, but as the good shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who knows his sheep in verse 14. But Jesus also introduces another image 
in this passage. He hints at that first in verse 2. Those who enter by the gate uh, is the shepherd. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. But in verse 7 and verse 9, he says very explicitly, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate or the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. For people in the ancient Near East, the courtyard was next to the home, bounded by a low wall where sheep were kept for the household. And in typical fashion for the time, the courtyard was not enclosed by a physical gate. Instead, at night, the shepherd would sleep at the opening to protect the sheep from predators and thieves. And during the day, the shepherd would take the sheep out of of the courtyard, out to the pasture for feeding and water. The sheep were dependent on the action and the voice of the shepherd. The sheep were uh, uh, in this statement. Jesus is saying that he is the gate through which people pass through to find belonging in God's flock. But even further, Jesus is making an exclusive claim here of being the gate when he says, "Whoever enters through me will be saved." The inference, of course, is that if you don't enter through Jesus as the gate, then you may not be saved. Jesus is making an audacious claim here that he is the only gate to find belonging in God's flock, as God's people. It's audacious for the Jews that they never expected a savior to do and say things like Jesus. After all, he's just a carpenter's son from Nazareth, not exactly kingly provenance. It's an audacious statement for us now as people consider the many ways that we hope to find salvation. In a world of choice, we want to choose our gates to safety and abundance. The choices for who and what leads our lives is kind of like shopping, shopping at the hardware store. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Home Depot looking for weather stripping for our door. And as I walked down the door aisle, I was blown away. You see, we have Home Depot in Canada, but you guys have American-style Home Depot. There's this entire aisle full of doors, like real doors, mounted on these hinges that you could flip through down the aisle as you walk down, like flipping through the pages of a catalog. And young people, there were one, there's once a day where you would open these paper catalogs and flip through things to go shopping instead of scrolling on your browser. So if you ever want a historical experience, you can go to Home Depot and shop for a door and flip these big doors, and you can look at every single one, color, style, and preference, touching and feeling every single door for your personality and for your temperament. Jesus' statement about being the shepherd and the gate to salvation is really countercultural in our day and age. Many religions have their own concepts of salvation and heaven of a sort. In Buddhism, you save yourself by ceasing all desire. In Hinduism, you save yourself by teaching yourself, uh, detaching yourself from your ego and attempt to live in unity with the divine. In Islam, you save yourself by living a life of good deeds. In Orthodox Judaism, you save yourself through repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law. In New Age philosophy, you save yourself by getting a new perspective and realize how you are connected to all things as a divine being. And we are inklings of this attitude in pop culture as well. John Lennon said, I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all 
the rest said was right. It's just the translations that have gone wrong. Oprah Winfrey. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. And then you have Homer Simpson. When he says, I'm going to die! Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all! But Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You know, you don't have to be spiritual or religious to have a savior. There are multiple versions of heaven and saviors on display at the magazine aisle. Each magazine offers a kind of heaven for a target audience. If you're a homeowner, then Better Homes and Gardens envisions a kind of heaven for you with images of products that offer you a path to get you there. If you're a dude looking to get ripped, then Men's Health envisions a kind of heaven with six-pack abs and 5% body fat with workouts and supplements to get you there. If you're looking to build wealth, then maybe Fortune or Inc. envision a kind of heaven for you with investment strategies and business plans as your savior. The common theme between all these heavens and saviors is that it all depends on you to get there. And it all depends on you to stay there. But Jesus' proposition is unique because he says that your salvation isn't going to be through your efforts. As a good shepherd, he says he's the only one that leads people to a place of true safety, contentment, and flourishing in life. And he's the one who ultimately keeps us safe. And he's the one who leads us to a life of abundance. This is that future life that we're longing for, either knowingly or unknowingly. And here's why Jesus' claim is exclusive, because he's the only one who gifts us this life that we've been created for. Jesus alone can make this claim because he's the only one who knows what that life is like, because he's, he's God. He's the only one who has lived in perfect communion with the living God, unmarred by the reality of sin and brokenness that we all know too well. And it's our sin, it's our brokenness that separate us from deep friendship with the living God. Jesus is the gate and the good shepherd because he's the only one who has the power to restore this relationship. He's the good shepherd who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. We hear it in verse 11. We hear it in verse 15, in verse 17, and in verse 18. I am the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, as sheep, we're utterly dependent on a shepherd to lead us because left to our own devices, we would find ourselves lost and vulnerable. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the prophet Isaiah says, 600 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we follow Jesus, the good shepherd, he hems us in when we're at rest, and he leads us forward out into the world when we are active because of God's great love for us. And when we hear his voice and we trust him as the gate into this future life, we begin to enjoy his voice and our future life becomes this present future life. If you remember the movie Sixth Sense, it's 
goes back like 15 or 20 years. Bruce Willis plays Malcolm Crow, an award-winning child psychologist who meets Cole, a nine-year-old boy who confides in Malcolm that he sees dead people that walk around like regular people. And as Malcolm builds trust and understands what Cole is going through, he first thinks that Cole is delusional. But as time goes on, he considers that perhaps Cole is actually seeing these ghosts and that the way to be free of his fear is to interact with them and to speak with them. And so the movie unfolds with nine-year-old Cole become a sage of sorts to the people that he meets to free them from their conflict in the afterlife. So I'm going to, spoiler alert, you can cover your ears or turn down the volume for the next 10 seconds if you want to see this movie. The twist of the movie is that Malcolm, too, was dead, but unaware of his state. And it was through this interaction with Cole that he discovered his own path to freedom. Malcolm thought that he was listening to Cole to help him. But in fact, Cole turned out to be the one he had to listen to to come to full realization of where he was at. Cole was the gate, in, in a sort, to Malcolm's realization. And maybe you're here today listening kind of like Malcolm is to Cole. You're coming to Jesus to see what you can learn and what you're curious about, but Jesus is inviting you and I to consider another reality, this future reality that's present in our midst through him that is seen through his eyes. You know, scientists have studied the process of how a child knows the voices of his parents, even though they just have heard a few words. Even in the womb, a child begins to distinguish the voices of the parents. And that's why doctors will encourage mothers and fathers and parents to speak to their baby in the womb. And during the first few months after birth, even though a baby only sees a few inches or, you know, in front of their eyes and it's just shapes, the baby begins to link these visual cues and auditory cues around him or her. The more the child hears the voices of the parents, the easier it is for the child to know them. And as the child grows, the parts of the brain that process these visual and auditory inputs begin to work as one sensory input for them to recognize their parents or those closest to them. Children know the voices and the faces of the one they are most familiar with. Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In verse 27, he goes on to say, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's only the sheep who know him and listen to his voice that find this abundant life. And those that receive this gift that Jesus, the good shepherd, offers have assurance that friendship with God can never be lost. And that's true security. When we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, we find our lives are joined to the life of the Good Shepherd, and we get to know him and follow him as he leads us to safety, to security, and to blessing. But there's one aspect of hearing this voice of Jesus. It's not just an invitation to some future life of belonging in God's, uh, in God's presence for eternity. It's an invitation to that future life now. The Good Shepherd is also leading us to people who don't yet know friendship with God, as you might know. And we know Christ and follow him, enjoying our life with him. We find that as we do those things, we find that he leads us to people we might not expect. 
In verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. They don't belong in the sheep pen yet. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. On Monday this week, I attended a meeting organized by the Washington Interfaith Network, a.k.a. WIN, and Little Lights, uh, a ministry just down in Eastern Market that uh, works with vulnerable people and students. I met with some of the residents of a public housing project here on the hill, and Wynne was there to see if the residents wanted to organize to better lobby for stable and safe housing. And as I listened to these residents talk about their homes, they were talking about things that we would be concerned about as well. They wanted a safe playground for their kids to play in. They wanted people to respect the hallways and the stairwells with no trash. They wanted the mold in their homes not just to be painted over, but for the leaks to be permanently fixed and for sewage not to be backing up into the building. But no one has been on their side to hear them, to organize them, and to give them a voice before the city. Without their voices being heard, their homes for generations will be developed into something they can't afford. The D.C. Housing Authority is consistently underfunded, so public housing becomes development potential for private investors. And I heard these longtime D.C. residents talk of people being moved to Maryland, to West Virginia, to North Carolina, after living their entire lives here in D.C. That's happening right in our neighborhood here. And it looks very little like the flourishing life of blessing that the living God intends for his people. That's why we as a community want to get involved, and we're figuring what that looks like. Next Sunday after this service, we're going to get together to discern uh, with Phyllis Thompson's leading just this conversation of what happens with 10K BB&J. How can we practically meet the needs of those around us? So I invite you to come and have a conversation. If you have ideas about our neighborhood and how we can welcome people into the flock and, and and the goodness of God and this life that we've experienced. Next month, we're doing something else too. We're going to one of these public housing projects to read with their students who are vulnerable in their education. It just takes a Saturday morning for an hour and a half to two hours. So I invite you to come and join us. You can sign up going to wcfchurch.org slash reading warrior. You know, hearing the voice of the good shepherd leads us to enjoy a life with the good shepherd for sure. But that joy is not meant for us alone. And it's not meant for us in the future alone. It's meant for us and for our neighbors to know. When Jesus says, I must bring them in also, it's not just for eternity, but to begin enjoying eternity now through friendship with God and seeing that blessing shared in the world around us, especially when there's places of vulnerability and injustice. We can join the Good Shepherd in sharing this future life now. So as we respond in a few moments with a time of confession, assurance, and gathering around the table, let us consider how we might better hear the voice of the Good Shepherd to not only experience salvation in the future, but to enjoy that salvation now and to share in that salvation and blessing with those around us. May we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd lead us to him and to join him. Amen.
as we tumble.